And I love family reunions. Don't you love family reunions? You get to go and you see people that you know, and, and you get to, uh, to celebrate that, see people that you know, see people you haven't seen in a while. Uh, have you ever been to a family reunion and you don't know everybody who's there? You ever been to one of those? You just don't know, and so you kind of wander around, and you know, you've been in the family your whole life, and somebody comes up and says, oh, so you're the new guy around here. Well, no, actually, I've been here several generations, so uh, you know, it's people you don't know. And then there's other times you go to a family reunion, and you're surprised by who's not there, because normally they are, and you might be surprised at who is there that you don't know, and, uh, uh, and, and, and you ask the question, well, you know, I didn't know we were related. You see somebody that you know. I have recently, I think I've shared this with you, I'll probably keep sharing it with you, it's exciting in my life right now. I, I recently, uh, a year and a half ago, did the Ancestry.com with uh, Ask Pam for that for Christmas, and she got it, and I've discovered all these people that, that they say are my relatives. I've never met and haven't known them. I knew on my father's side that, that uh, I could go back to 1909. My father's father was born in 1909. As of now, on Ancestry, I can go back, my family, the Francis family, in America at least to 1760. I thought, thank you, Gene. I appreciate that. I thought somebody would be like, wow, that's amazing. And uh, so thank you <laughs> uh, for that. I've even discovered, I've got to verify this. I can't call any names right now. I've even discovered some people at Ridgecrest Baptist Church that I supposedly I'm related to somehow. That's one of those, I didn't know we were related. So always be careful who you talk to and who you talk about because they might be a relative of, uh, of some kind, and uh, there might be a reunion coming up. I don't know, but uh, here's what I do know. Here's what I do know. There's coming a reunion one day. We've been singing about it beautifully this morning, Al. Thank you for that music. There's a, there's a coming family reunion. It's going to be epic. It's going to be the best family reunion that eternity has ever seen. And uh, the good news is that everybody's been invited. Everybody's been invited to this reunion. Everywhere, everyone of all time, because we're all related. Would you stand with me this morning as we read together just a couple of verses from God's Word? In Acts chapter 17, verse 26, it takes us, although it's a New Testament verse, it takes us all the way back to the beginning of Genesis. Acts 17, 26 Speaking of God, it says, He made, God made, from one man. And that man's name was Adam. God made from one man, Adam, every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. So the Bible tells us that the origin of every last person, not only in this room, not only in the gym in our second service, but not only in, in the Durham, North Carolina area, but every person everywhere in the world who has ever lived, all traces their ancestry back to Adam. I can go back now in my family to 1760, but that's just a drop in the bucket to going all the way back to Adam. I don't know where all the branches go, but I know that I'm in that group that goes all the way back to Adam, that one man that God created. That's back in Genesis. Fast forward to the end of the Bible, book of Revelation. And there we have a glimpse, just a, a small glimpse. It gives us enough to see what's going on, but I have a thousand questions that will not be answered on this earth. But just a small glimpse of what that family reunion is going to look like. 
One thing it doesn't tell us in the Bible is what they're serving at the family reunion. And at this point, I would say it really doesn't matter. What does matter is who's going to be there. The glimpse comes from Revelation chapter 7 and verse 9. Behold, a great multitude from every nation, from all tribes and all peoples and all languages, standing before the throne. Can you imagine that scene? Joy just sang beautifully. I can only imagine what it will be like when I'm standing there as a part of that vision that we see that last reunion, that great reunion taking place in heaven. This past week in Vacation Bible School, I don't know if I told you just a minute ago or not, but we, we, uh, we averaged over 300 each day of boys and girls and workers. If you were here for Vacation Bible School, raise your hand. Just say thank, thank you. We had about 80 plus volunteers each day to make Vacation Bible School happen. Of those 240 to 50 boys and girls, I don't know exactly what the number is, of those 240 to 50 boys and girls, listen to this. When we shared the gospel, Thursday is gospel day. When we shared the gospel, and I was one of the teachers, I teach the fourth grade. When we shared the gospel on Thursday, between the classes of the older kids that shared the gospel, 25 boys and girls checked off on their paper. We don't pressure them. We don't twist their arms. We present it and we ask them. 25 boys and girls indicated that on Thursday they trusted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Isn't that exciting? So on Thursday this past week, the guest list grew by 25. And it's growing every single day. We join the family and are invited to the reunion when we put our faith and our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Whether you are a child in vacation Bible school, whether you are a senior adult on your last gasp of breath before you pass from this world, the entry into the family is the same. Faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Aren't you thankful for that? Amen. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, today we thank you for that coming great reunion in heaven where there will be people that we don't know, but that's okay. There'll be people that we're surprised to see that we're related to, and that's okay too. Lord, we will be there when we put our faith and our trust in you. We celebrate with boys and girls this past week who joined the family to putting their faith and trust in Christ. We look forward to following up and baptizing them. We also thank you, Lord, even today in this room, knowing that in a crowd of people this size, somebody here has not yet put their faith and trust in you. And Lord, we celebrate today that the opportunity and the invitation is still there. And we only pray, Lord, that for that one or two or ten or twenty or more who've never trusted you in this place, that today could be that day as we celebrate in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Well, Scripture teaches us from the very beginning in Genesis, we all come from one man, Adam. Scripture teaches us that at the end of time, when eternity, uh, in the span of eternity, we will all gather around the throne of God in heaven for that great reunion. I'm going to take just a quick minute this morning and trace back some of the steps of where our family, according to the Scripture, where our family has been 
and where our family is going to meet. Because when I'm invited to a reunion, I want to know some basic details. And I'll share those with you in just a few moments. Let's start, first of all, uh, looking backwards at our family and our family history. I don't know about your family, but, but in my family, there are some things that we're not too proud of. Amen? You got anybody like that in your family? All right. So, uh, so, so, so that's also true in our spiritual family. And, and we look back to after the flood where God gives blessing and instruction. We're going to start here. The story goes farther back, but for today, after the flood, after it had come, God gives blessing and instruction. It's a new day. It's a new day. God's judgment had come with the flood, and now it's a new day. Genesis 9, verse 1, God blessed Noah and his sons, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. It's a new day. It's a new blessing. It's a new covenant. It's a new opportunity. With God, there's always the opportunity for starting over with His grace and His blessing. Aren't you thankful for that? So there we go. Secondly, I want you to notice this morning that in the face of grace, in the face of this great blessing of God, in the face of grace, there is disobedience and rebellion. Our ancestors just couldn't get it straight. They, 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 here, here we go again. God had recognized that there is sin on the earth in everyone's heart continually. Genesis chapter 6, Genesis 9 after the judgment. Let's start over. And now we get to Genesis 11, just a short while later. And they're back, our ancestors, back to behaving the same way all over again. We'll call this the sin cycle. The sin cycle basically says this, that, that, that we are created and blessed by God and then we're, we're, we're allowed to, to pursue uh, God and yet in our own hearts we choose disobedience which brings consequences and judgment and after that God gives us a restored opportunity because God is the God of the second chance. Say that with me. God is the God of the second chance. And after that second chance, guess what our ancestor did? They blew it again and again. And again, and we're still blowing it again and again and again. But God is the God of second chances. In Genesis chapter 11, we see just a short while after the flood. And a short while after God had said to Noah and his sons, Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. We see that in Genesis 11, verses 1 to 4, a couple of things are true. One is everybody looked the same. Everybody looked basically the same. And, and they probably had uh, a shade uh, of darkness in their skin, a shade of brown, probably a little darker than most of us here. They probably had darker hair or, or dark hair overall. Uh, Al, if they had hair at all, probably was darker. And so, <laughs> but that's probably what folks look like. And they all spoke the same language. And guess what? It was not English. They all spoke the same language, but it wasn't English. We, we studied all week in Bible school different parts of the world. I'm going to say hello to you in a foreign language, and I want you to holler back at me which language I'm speaking in. Ready? Konnichiwa. Japanese. Y'all were at Bible school this week. Okay. <laughs> Bonjour. Jamba. Yao. Was it Yo. Yo. Durham. Durham. 
They all spoke the same language, and it wasn't English. And it wasn't Dermese either, that's right. But it says there in Genesis 11, they moved together. This group of people that come off the ark, they stayed together, they moved together, and they moved to the east, and they wound up at a place, a plain, a big flat area called Shinar. And there on the plain of Shinar, several generations passed, and children began to be born, and the population began to increase. Remember Genesis 9-1, God said, be fruitful, multiply, and what? Fill the earth. But they decided they were going to stay together. And there on the plain of Shinar, they said this, there in Genesis 11, they said, let's build for us. Let's build a city. Let's build a tower. Let's build a name for ourselves in spite of God's covenant, in spite of God's commandment. Let's stay together and let's build and let's make ourselves great. In fact, the phrase, let's build a city, a tower, and a name are representative that they were abandoning what God had told them to do. When they said, let's build a city, they were saying, let's build a government. Let's build a rule over us so that we will not be under the rule of God. They said, let's build a tower. Let's reach up to the heavens. Let's become over and above and apart from God. Let's make our own religion. And then they said, let's build a name. Let's build a name for ourselves. Not the name, the great name of God, but let's build a name for ourselves, the reputation that we can have for ourselves. Because you see, man doesn't need God. In fact, man is God. In fact, Man has replaced God. And we see the seeds of that right here in, in the Tower of Babel on the plain of Shinar. And that is the, the first time we see the example of what we might call humanism, which is the elevation of humanity to the highest possible place with nothing above it, including God. Well, God noticed this unity that they had. God noticed this purpose that they had. And He noticed that their purpose and their unity was built around uh, disobedience to His word, to His command. And God used what the Bible calls the confusion of languages to disperse the people all over the world. Remember what God said? Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. They said, no, we're going to stay here and replace you, God. And God said, we'll see about that. And so God just simply, God did one thing. Just one thing. He confused their languages. He created languages, and different ones spoke the same language, but others spoke a different language. And ultimately, they gave up the building of the city, and they gathered with those that sounded like themselves, and they dispersed out, as God had commanded originally, out to different parts of the world. It reminds us that what is simple for God can be devastating for people, and it reminds us also that God's will will prevail. In Genesis 10, you see what's called the Table of Nations. And this is where the people dispersed to. It's a great map. You can Google it and look it up sometime. The Table of Nations there in Genesis 10. We don't have time to get into it today. So thirdly, I want you to notice this. Thirdly, notice the depth of our Father's love, which is to pursue and to share. Even though the people disobeyed, even though the people rejected God, even though the people said, let's stay together, and even though God confused their languages and dispersed them throughout the earth, God didn't disperse them and leave them to their own devices. God dispersed them, and then God began to pursue them, including and up to even today, God is still pursuing the people dispersed all across the face of the earth. That's the exciting thing. We, I mentioned last week in, from the Old Testament how we see and know that it's God's plan. Isaiah 49 and verse 6, God says, I will make you, this is the Israelites, God said, I will make you a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. That's where the people are, all the way out to the end of the earth. We're not stopping right around us. We're not stopping just on our continent. 
we're literally going to the end of the earth to take the message of the goodness and forgiveness and restoration of God to the very ends of the earth. Isaiah 52 and verse 10, all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. The message will get there. It's not a matter of if the message gets there or will the message get there. It will get there in God's timing and in God's way. So Isaiah 52 and verse number 10 tells us that. Likewise, in the New Testament, we see, we see this message repeated over and over and over again. If you look at Luke 15, you don't have to turn there in your Bible, but in Luke 15, Jesus tells us a parable about three different, uh, three different pictures of the pursuit of God. The first is a, a, a woman uh, who, uh, who lost a coin. She had 10 and she lost one coin. And here's what she literally did. She turned her house upside down in order to find that coin because that coin was so valuable. And that's a picture of Jesus pursuing us because we are that valuable to him. There's also a, a story in, in, the, uh, in Luke 15 of, of the shepherd who had the 100 sheep and 99 of them were fine. One of them had slipped off. And, and so the shepherd left the 99. He had 99% of his sheep, but he left 99 and went out into the danger, out into the countryside, out into the wilderness to pursue the one sheep that had gotten away. And that's a picture of the love of God and the pursuit of Christ for us even when we wander away. And then Jesus told the story there in Luke 15 of what we call the prodigal son, which ought to be named the loving father. It's not a story about the son, it's a story about the father. The youngest son who came to the father said, Give me my inheritance. I'm out of here. I'm tired of living under your roof. So the father gave him what was his, and, and the child took off and wasted and squandered and, and lived in very immoral ways. And when the, the son had, had given up everything and lost everything and came crawling back on his hands and knees, ready to beg that the father take him back as a servant so he could get something to eat. And what did the father do? The, he found the father was already looking out for him. And when he saw him, the father ran to him. And the father called in and said, let's have a feast. Let's have a celebration. Put sandals on his feet. Put the ring on his finger. Put the robe around him. Feed this boy and get him, get him fattened up and, and do what you got to do so that we can celebrate and welcome him back into the family, not as a servant. And Jesus told these three stories to indicate to us that our heavenly father is pursuing us. One of our memory verses this week, 1 John 4, 14, the father sent the son to be the Savior of the world. He didn't, just, he didn't just, just say, okay, you're on your own. No, He sent us, Jesus, to come and pursue us that we might be reconciled to God. All this we see in Luke 15 and in other places as well. Well, there's a, a poem written in the 1800s. You may or may not have heard of it. I've heard of it. I've, I've read through it. It's kind of got that old English-style language a little bit, but it's called The Hound of Heaven. The Hound of Heaven, written by... Francis Thompson back in the 1800s. One description that will help us kind of understand this, this lengthy poem is this. It says, as the hound follows the hare. Now a hare is a rabbit. I do know that much. As the hound follows the hare, never ceasing in its running, ever drawing nearer in the chase, so does God follow the fleeing soul by His divine grace. And though in sin it seeks to hide itself, divine grace follows after till the soul feels its pressure to turn to Him alone in that never-ending pursuit. Let me tell you something. God's pursuit of us is never-ending. And when there are those, and there will be those, who wake up in eternity and they're not in heaven, it will not be because God did not pursue them. Every last soul is important to God. And so the depth of our Father's love is to pursue 
and share this wonderful message. One last thing I want to share with you, and that is there's a coming celebration. I've been alluding to this. I want to spend just a few minutes on it this morning. There's a coming celebration where we're going to gather and we're going to worship. And it's going to be a celebration like this world and history and eternity has never seen before. By the end of time, at the end of time, all nations, all people, all languages will have heard the message. And the mission will have been fulfilled to go out into all the earth and take the message of salvation that the nations may know. One day, there's going to be that great celebration in heaven of all those who have trusted Christ as Savior gathered around the throne of God. But for now, guess where we're at now? It's not time yet. Right now, we're still in that period where the Lord is pursuing. That's the good news. We're still in that period where the Lord is pursuing. If you're here today and you're a believer, maybe there's somebody in your family, somebody in your life, somebody in your friend circle, somebody in your, in your school, somebody that works in your job, and you have a burden for them to know Christ and to have eternal life, keep praying, keep asking, keep opening the door, keep knocking and looking for opportunities because we're in that period where God is still pursuing those who are lost. And if we had time, we could go around this room right now and we could stand up one by one and tell the story of how we were the least likely to be saved. I was the least likely kid in my youth group to be saved. I was not looking. I was not ready. I was not aware. I could care less. And the Lord found me. And there are many of you who have that same story here today. So while we have time, the Lord is still pursuing. But for now, let's take just a moment and take a glimpse of this coming reunion that we're going to be a part of as believers. I want you to look at two verses of Scripture for me. First is in Revelation chapter 5 and verse number 9. Revelation 5 and verse 9. It says this, And they sang a new song. I love the good old songs, don't you? I love those good old songs we sing about heaven. We sang some of those today. But let me tell you something. I love the new songs too. I love learning a new song that expresses the same truth about, about Christ in just a little bit different way with a little bit different beat. And it says in heaven that there's even going to be the song that we sing in heaven, we don't know yet. We had not learned it yet. So, so, so they sang a new song, and, and, it, and it says this. Worthy are you, this is Jesus, worthy are you to take the scroll and open the seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and every language and every people and every nation. Remember what God said in, in Genesis 9-1, go fill the earth, multiply and fill the earth. And, and then when God said to Isaiah, he says, you're going to go out and be a light to the Gentiles, to the ends of the earth. And you know what it says in Luke chapter 15, Jesus came to, to show us that the Father spares no expense and sends his very best and pursues us until we're found. And now with this picture of the end of time, the celebration in heaven, every nation will have people in that celebration because we're all part of one family and the message will have gotten to every possible people group with no one left out. Then look at Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and 10 with me. After this, after this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation. Here it is again. Every nation, all tribes, all peoples, all languages, standing there before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Woo! That's going to be something. 
Now let's take just a minute. I want to walk through and look at this picture here. We see, we see three people, or three types of people named. We see Jesus named. We see God the Father named. And we see the people. The people who are going to be gathered there at the family reunion. Let's look at each one of these real quickly. We see about Jesus. We see, first of all, Jesus is worthy. Jesus is When we gather there for the family reunion, Jesus, it's going to be clear, Jesus is worthy because He's the one that makes it possible for us to be there at that celebration. Jesus is worthy. It says there in chapter 5, verse 9, You, speaking of Jesus, you were slain. There's the cross. And by your blood, you ransomed or you paid the price. You ransomed people for God. Jesus paid the price that you and I might have the avenue by which we might go to heaven and be a part of God's family. Repeat after me. Jesus is worthy. Say it together. Jesus is worthy. He's worthy. He's worthy. We know that in heaven. He's going to be there, and it's going to be clear that He is worthy. He's the Son of God. But also notice the people. There are several qualities. There's more attention given to the people there. So I want you to notice this, because this is what we're going to be doing. And Joy sang beautifully, I can only imagine. And, and, and there's so much beautiful truth in that song. And, and I don't know exactly what we're going to be doing. But here's some things we're going to be doing. Let's, let's look at this real quickly. Uh, Revelation 7. It says, first of all, the people will be innumerable. I had to look that up, see how to spell it. Innumerable. What that means is too many to count. There'll be so many people there. It says there in chapter 7, verse 9 of Revelation, a great multitude that no one could number. No one, in chapter 5, verse 11, talking about the angels, it says there's going to be 10,000 times 10,000. Anybody know how many that is off the top of your head? 100 million. That's just angels gathered around the throne. You can count the angels. How many of them are there? At least 100 million, if not more. 100 million. That's, that's a big number, isn't it? But the people gathered around the throne. Too many to number. Too many, innumerable numbers of people. Also notice this in, verse, in, in chapter 7, verse 9 of Revelation. They will be multi-ethnic and multicultural because it will be reflecting each branch of the family tree. When we get to heaven, we're not all going to look the same. Each of us will reflect the nationality, the ethnic group, the cultural group that we were a part of here on earth. It will be evident, it will be clear, it will be celebrated, it will be inclusive, and it will be amazing to look out and see all the different branches of our family that don't look like we look. Somebody say amen to that. That's going to be exciting. Now, let me share just a couple of things with you that we looked at at Vacation Bible School this week. One is a picture I showed you last week. And it's a picture of, uh, that says this. There are different shades, not different colors. We learned in Bible school this week the very basic scientific thing is the thing that makes us look different skin-wise is the amount of one element in our skin is called melanin. And the more melanin you have, the darker your skin is. The less melanin you have, the less dark you are. And we're not different colors. We're different shades of the same color, and that color is brown. And so we, we, we may look differently, but we all are just different shades of the same color. I want you to also look, the, the people around the world will look even different, more different than what you see on the screen there. But the next slide shows us that around the world, people will, will, will look all kinds. You've got a light-skinned, 
person with slanted eyes holding an umbrella. You got a dark-skinned person out in the out in the in, in the in the in the uh, uh, African plain somewhere. You've got a man over here with a beard and, and a big turban on his head. You got the guy down here in the corner. It's got all these things, all of them reflecting different cultures, different ethnicities. And the Bible says all of these on the screen and more will be present around the throne in heaven. And how does John know here in Revelation that it's all the different nationalities of the world because they look like how they did on earth? There's something about being in heaven that you'll know. It's not just only the people group from Asia or only the people group from Europe or only the people group from Africa, but the people groups from all these places are going to be represented in heaven. That's awesome, isn't it? I love that. I love that. Also notice, too, that the people will be present. The people will be present. There's, there's going to be a, a presence there as people are standing before the Lamb. We're going to be there in the presence of the Lord. There's going to be a, they're going to be standing up there. I, I, I wonder in heaven, and once this celebration is over, is there going to be? Is there going to be T-shirts? Are there going to be T-shirts passed out? This says, I was there at the great reunion. I was there at the Great Reunion. If there's not, I want to put in a, a request that we get those shirts. I was there at the Great Reunion. But we won't get those till there. You know what we ought to do right now? Pass out some shirts now. When you know Jesus Christ is saved, that say, I will be there. I will be there at that Great Reunion when every tribe, every language, every nationality, every ethnicity that knows Jesus Christ as Savior will gather around the throne. Then also notice this. They're purified. The people around the throne there... That glimpse, they're all purified. They're clothed in white robes. In verse 14, it says they're purified of sin by the blood of the Lamb. Chapter 5 and verse 9 says that Jesus was slain and, and He paid the ransom for our sins. Chapter 7 verse 9 speaks of salvation that belongs to Him. It is His blood that was, that was given on the cross that paid the price for you and I to have our sins forgiven and our sins washed away and purified that we might stand in a white robe before the Lord. That's exciting there in, the, in, in heaven as well. Then notice, what are we going to be doing? What are we going to be doing? Joy, I'm going to pick on you a little bit, but Joy saying, you know, will I stand, will I fall, will I dance? And, and yet, you know, dancing's in the Bible, so don't be talking about dancing. They're dancing around the throne in the Bible in celebration. Here's what we do know. There's, there, there's going to be celebration. There's going to be celebration. And, and yes, people will be standing. Yes, some will be kneeling. Yes, some will be dancing. All, victor all celebrating the great victory that we have in our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice there in, in verse, uh, chapter 7, verse 9 and 10, it speaks of palm branches in their hands. Palm branches. You've seen palm branches before, right? Maybe something over here. I'd snatch those out and use them. I think they're attached. I don't know. But, but, but palm branches represent celebration and victory. And in the, especially in, in, in ancient times, when there was a big celebration and a parade was going by and the people were celebrating, they would take palm branches and they would just wave them back and forth and back and forth as the procession went by because they were celebrating the great victory. And in heaven, the picture there is the palm branches of celebration there because of the blood of the Lamb had overcome the tribulation here on the earth. And also notice this, as they celebrate, they'll be worshiping. They'll be worshiping. It says there in verse, uh, verse number 10 of Revelation 7 that they're crying out with a loud voice. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That's awesome, isn't it? 
Would you say those words with me? They're on the screen. Ready? Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the... We can't, that's, that's not good enough. It says three things about these folks. First of all, it says they're standing. We can't say this adequately while we're sitting. So if you can, would you stand? Go ahead and stand. Okay? And it says they were holding palm branches. We don't have enough to pass out and, and you know, don't grab those off the corners here and there. But here's what we're going to do. We're going to have palm branches represented by our hands. If you can, raise your hands. You can raise them up about shoulder high. If you feel like it, you can raise them up real high. However, you, and you've got to wave your palm branches. You can wave them this way. You can wave them that way. And however, you can wave them this way. Just don't hit the person in front of you in the back of the head. Whatever you want to do. But we're going we're gonna to wave our palm branches as we stand. Because remember, this is heaven practice. This is heaven practice, okay? So here's what, we'll wave our palm branches, and with, it says with a loud voice they cried out. You cry out as loud as you want. You've got my permission today. On the count of three, words are on the screen, waving our palm branches, celebrating around the throne, and the people said, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the land. Woo, can you imagine what that's going to be like? You can be seated there if you would. We, I could do that for about 10 minutes. We just don't have time or stamina here this morning. It's too hot. But listen, it's going to be amazing. That scene in heaven. So Jesus is worthy. The people are celebrating and God is on the throne. He is omnipotent or all-powerful. He is omniscient and all-knowing. He is omnipresent everywhere at the same time. Listen, when, when, when knowing that's going to be the scene in heaven, doesn't it make sense that we ought to reflect that in our churches on earth? How we worship, how we sing, how we celebrate... Every time we gather, it should be heaven practice. And we think about people around us that don't know Christ. And families that are moving into our area. And more and more of them are multi-ethnic and multicultural. What can we do as Ridgecrest Baptist Church to reach out to our community, to look more like heaven's going to look, to celebrate more like heaven's going to be? I asked you last Sunday, send me some comments, send me some emails of what we might do as a church to be more racially, multi-ethnic, multicultural, sensitive to those in our midst. And you guys have given me some great feedback. I want to share just a couple of emails I've gotten, I've gotten back. One is, get involved in the diverse student population in local colleges and universities. That's one thing we can do. Another is this, hire an African-American or a Hispanic intern. Have them focus on making connections with those from various communities in our midst. Another is this. Partner with another African-American, Hispanic, or Asian church in our Yates Baptist Association. Periodically trade pastors for a Sunday service. I've got some questions about that trying to get rid of me. I don't know what it is. But I'll go along with it for now. And then several comments that you, that you emailed me had to do with outreach. Getting out into our local communities. We can't just put a sign out here on the front and say, hey, y'all come. The scripture says to us, y'all go. Y'all, us. Y'all go out into the communities. And so several of you mentioned this. Some door-to-door -door visitation and prayer. A focused mail invitation with a special Sunday service devoted to meeting and greeting our guests. Flyers in local, local areas announcing our vacation Bible school, our fishing tournament, our fall festival, and other Ridgecrest events. Canvassing our adjoining neighborhoods with flyers announcing who we are and what we're all about. Neighborhood block parties or Bible clubs. Community events like a barbecue. I'm all in on that one now. A barbecue uh, or, or such and host it uh, out in the community. Announce it in a public venue. And then for, to encourage our members, us, to invite people. 
a simple invitation. Hey, I'm a part of Ridgecrest Baptist Church. Can I invite you to come with me? We're doing a, a promo, a promotion right now called Who's Your One? We've got little bookmarks out there. Just grab a bookmark, write somebody's name on it, pray for them and invite them and look for opportunities to share with them the wonderful good news of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In addition to that, somebody, I just got an email this morning from a church member. They say, we need to, you need to preach and pray about issues of race and diversity, and you need to trust God to change the hearts of people that struggle in this area. I like that one too. And, uh, and also in that email, it said, you know, we didn't get like this overnight, and it's not going to turn overnight, but you know, God can do anything overnight. Another thing we're doing, you see it in, the, in, the, in your bulletin this morning, Starting this Wednesday, I'm going to be leading just a five-week study. It's all it is, five weeks on Wednesday nights of dealing with, with reaching out to, and being more uh, multi-ethnic and cultural in our community. How can we do that? Racial reconciliation within the church. We'll be talking about some ways we can do that. And then also, months ago, and this is how it all fits together, months ago, before we ever planned out all the things we're doing now, our Baptist State Convention of North Carolina contacted me and said, hey, we want to host a conference on the church being more multicultural. And we'd like to host it at Ridgecrest Baptist Church. Can you help us out? I said, sure. And so they're going to do that right here in our facilities on August the 13th. I think it's a Tuesday. August the 13th, like 9 to 3. They're bringing in some big dogs. They're going to speak to different topics. And right here in our own church, we're going to host an event that's going to be for, for people across the state that want to talk about being more multicultural in our churches and how we as Baptists, as Christians, can reach out to our communities. And so I, I just think it's amazing what God is orchestrating and putting together so that we might better be the church God is calling us to be. Can I get a witness to that this morning? I'm just excited about each of these. And I want to say this about the emails. Keep them coming. A couple people even this morning have said, Pastor, I hadn't emailed you yet. I said, please do. I'm making a list. Just please make me... Uh, send me an email about things that come to your mind about what we might ought to do to be the church God has called us to be. I'm excited more than ever to be a part of God's kingdom and Ridgecrest Baptist Church. And I hope and pray and trust that you are as well. Let me invite you to stand with me, if you will. I'm going to ask you just to bow your head and to close your eyes and just begin to ask and pray to the Lord. Lord, help me to know what I can do personally, what we can do as a church to better be the church you've called us to be and better reflect what's going to be taking place in heaven so that we can get some heaven practice right here on earth every time we gather on a Sunday or any other day of the week. And our Heavenly Father, I pray that you would search our hearts. I pray, oh Lord, you would help us to, to be open to you, to your word, to your spirit, to your will, and to your purpose for us as a church. I pray, Lord, you bring salvation to those who you are pursuing even now, right here in this room even, that they would admit, Lord, to you that they have sin in their life and have, have, have disobeyed you like many others, uh, all of us throughout history. I pray, Lord, even today someone would say that they believe in Jesus Christ his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And I believe and pray, Lord, even today, someone would confess that Jesus Christ is my Lord. He paid the price for my sin, and I want Jesus to be my Savior. I pray, our Heavenly Father, that you would lead us out into our community to reach every tribe, every people, every nation that's located right around us within just a few yards or a few miles, Lord. And we pray that Ridgecrest might be that kind of a church. I pray, Lord, you'd help us to reflect heaven on earth in our, how we look on a Sunday across our congregation, how we worship, and how, Lord, we point people to Christ 
And we pray, Lord, knowing that you can do all things. And so we pray even now, Lord, you would do this for your glory. As we pray in Christ's name, amen.